We better not completely take the human out of human resources because it comes out that the human and human resources is the thing that is most likely to make us seem valuable to people. Hello and welcome to the Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent first company. Today's episode features an interview with Larry Emmond, senior partner at Modern Executive Solutions. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I am your host, Sultan Seidoff, and today I am super excited to welcome Larry Emmond. Let's get into it. Our first segment, the Blueprint. It's a blueprint. This doodle. Just grew up a little blueprint. And it's right here in this here blueprint. Larry, so excited to have you here. You run the largest network of big company CHROs in the world. You probably know more of the world's CHROs than anybody else. Why don't you start by telling us how that came about? Yeah, thanks, Sultan. I'm very happy to be here today as well. So I had been 29 years at a company named Gallup. Gallup's main focus is helping companies build better workplaces, basically. And so my whole life has been working on big company HR. And I've had jobs around the world. And so in the course of that work, I got to know a handful of big company chief human resource officers. Somewhere along the way, it was like six, seven years ago, you know, some conversations I learned that they really weren't happy about the opportunities they had to benchmark with each other. A lot, there's a lot of organizations out there and they remember a different ones, but what they really wanted is an environment where they could meet with other peers of theirs, only big companies, only people that are the CHRO, and be in an environment where they can just get a chance to talk about their biggest problems, get ideas from each other on how to approach those problems. And so I just started bringing them together in meetings and around the world. And it grew to well where it was the total network is several hundred CHROs that I've gotten to know over the last oh, five, six years of doing this. Believe it or not, I've actually done 350 meetings, a couple hundred in person and 150 virtually that are always limited to only big company chief human resource officers. So it's been quite a journey. And I've learned more certainly in the last five years from them than I had learned in my entire career up to that point. I can only imagine the breadth of topics and uh, conversations that comes up. Are there some themes that you're seeing really keep people up at night? Yeah, so for a moment, if it's okay with you, so let's take COVID out of it for just a moment. You can't, and I'll bring it back in. My point is to say that pre-COVID, you know, were there themes of what they see as their biggest single challenges? And I was curious about that. And then I've continued to ask those. And now that we're kind of moving into a new normal or new something, whatever we want to call it, I noticed we're settling back into almost all the same themes. So I actually, I did a thing when I first couple of years that I was bringing CHROs together, a lot of the meetings were only about what is your biggest single current challenge? Very unfair question because they have many challenges, but I asked it anyway. And then I continue when I'm in conversations with CHROs to ask that question. 
So I've been basically tabulating this huge qualitative database of the answer to that question from all over the world. There are four major buckets that those answers fall into. It'll capture about 85% of them. The first one may surprise you a little bit, but it's actually issues of HR technology and automation. And the reason it's the biggest single challenge is because there's so much of it, it keeps coming, and most of it is pretty darn useful. And in a world of, you know, I only have so much money, what can really keep CHRs up at night are, are we making the right decisions with the right HR automation and technology choices, partners, et cetera? Are we continuing to spend a bunch of money and time on ones that maybe we don't need anymore? And you imagine their world, all the business leaders, you know, come back from a conversation and go, hey, have you ever heard of this? And members of their own HR function or I just came back from a conference and I saw this, we got to have this. And it, it's just overwhelming. And so they want to be responsible in making the right decisions around HR technology and automation. So that has always been a dominant bucket. Second bucket of biggest single challenges are issues to do with attraction. How does my company attract A players? And you know, think about it. If you think of all the big companies in the world, the vast majority of them are kind of unsexy companies and unsexy industries. You know, they're not all like hip and cool and where kids want to go. And so it's a never-ending challenge to be able to tell a story and explain a, why this is a place that talent in any functional area would want to come to work. And then how do you actually get to those people, get them through a process, get them on board? You think in the big company world, you have to hire every year, depending on who you are, 10 to a half a million new people. Some of the big hourly employers, you got to hire a million new people, right? So figuring out how to, how to do that and be getting the lion's share of good people is obviously a biggest single challenge for many CHROs. The third bucket would be issues of development. The big company CHROs know that, you know, if you're trying to engage and retain people, you know, first and foremost is who's my boss and someone who cares about me and is thinking about me. That's always going to be the number one driver. But beyond that, the number one universal thing is, is this a company that cares about my development, that will invest in my development, that will give me, you know, if I want advancement opportunities, that I will have advancement opportunities. And why most CHROs lose sleep over that one is they know that that is probably not true in a lot of pockets of the organization. Maybe true in some places, but you're really dependent on managers. You know, a lot of your managers are probably not very good managers. And you know that if your employees do not feel that you care about their development and offer them career path going forward, that most of them will eventually leave. So that's a big one. And the fourth bucket was, you know, anytime I've asked that question and the answer is use the word culture. And those break into two things. It's about half that are, you know, we're big and global and complicated and we're trying to maintain some kind of culture. And how do you actually do that, right? The other 50%, probably no surprise, is we're trying to change our culture in some way from culture A to culture B. We're big and complex. And how do you do that one? But there's some kind of cultural thing that they're trying to manage in some way, and that's difficult. So those are the big four. But I I don't want to miss this one point. You may be wondering, what about diversity? What about diversity, equity, and inclusion? I mean, that just seems to be in almost every conversation. The answer to that is that while it doesn't come up very often when you ask about biggest single challenge, 
it is the most requested meeting topic that I've that I've done over the past several years. So um, it just somehow doesn't squeeze into number one because that's an unfair question, but it absolutely would probably be the most common if you did like top three or five. So that's my summary of kind of what's on their minds. I think what's interesting about the diversity topic is it cuts across the other four you've mentioned and is a feature of all of them. What you've mentioned around HR technology and automation, diversity is a big component of both with new technologies such as AI, is it going to create bias? Is it going to help us with diversity? With the second bucket of issues of attraction, of course, that component of where is diversity within that brand is a key component, but it goes deeper than that now because we're entering this world of scarce talent, people thinking about hiring for potential, hiring for skills. Where is the diversity lens when you're doing that? How can you make that inclusive? And the third bucket of issues of development, if we're going to hire for potential and skills, what are we going to do with that? It's interesting how some of these things intertwine more than perhaps they used to. I think sometimes those challenges were treated in more siloed ways than from what, what I've seen is in recent times. But I imagine the experience of seeing these themes, as you mentioned, pre-COVID and now returning post-COVID and some of the continuity is fascinating in itself. And some of the journeys that you must have witnessed for companies navigating those changes would have been fascinating. So you get to spend a lot of time with what I imagine are some very interesting individuals, CHROs at the world's biggest organizations, working on some of the most interesting problems, employing millions of people. What are some of the characteristics that you've noticed that they might have in common? So people ask me all the time, hey, Larry, what are big company CHROs like? Can you like make some statement about, of course, they're enormously different people. They come from massively different backgrounds. Only about 30% of them are actually lifetime HR people. The majority of them grew up out in the business and came in. A full 10% of big company CHROs were never in HR until the day they became CHROs. So you have this huge diversity of background and experience and so forth. So there's nothing you can say there that's valuable. But what I can say is this. There are three things that as I've sat with the world's major CHROs all these years that have jumped out at me. One is not specific to the CHRO, but the fact remains that every big company CHRO has huge intellectual depth and range. And that I think is just, you don't get to the top in any organization, in any role without pretty heavy intellectual depth. And I, I, maybe there is a little piece that if you're in that people role, it might even be an even deeper level of intellectual depth. Second thing is they are almost universally compassionate people. You're not ultimately going to take this job with all the challenges in it if there's part of you that isn't trying to build better workplaces and make people's lives better. So that is in all of them. These are human people. They're very interested in human things. A third thing that I think is probably unique with CHROs is they, as almost all of them, are incredibly good listeners, like deep, deep listeners. So in all these years when I've been bringing them together, um, they will sit and listen to what everyone else is saying with great intensity. And by the way, they're not checking their phones. They're not. I mean, you have a few that do that. But when they're in the room with a bunch of big company peers, they're deeply respectful of each other. And so I do think it's possible that there's a law of the jungle or something that to make your way up to be the big company CHRO, you probably had to be somebody that was a great listener to other leaders. So that would be a third common theme that I've seen with them. Well, this 
topic of CHROs being compassionate, good listeners, and having huge intellectual range takes us nicely to our next segment, The Journey. A real journey. Become the journey. What are some of the friction points that you've seen CHROs run into when trying to bring about organizational change? And this may touch on some of what you've seen in the post-pandemic state, because obviously there's been lots of urgency to bring out initiatives. And I imagine you've come across some stories where that's come harder or easier than others. What have been some of the challenges that you've seen organizations run into? This shouldn't be a surprise, but I feel like it's easily missed. We know that for all people at any level of a company, like 75% of my engagement and retention and productivity and all that is driven by who my boss is. It's just a fact of life. One of my biggest learnings from all my time at CHROs is it is exactly the same with them. Whether or not they can advance a really great people agenda and have support for that and so forth is massively determined by who their boss is, the CEO. And if they have one that is a deep believer in all the people things and has a great personal relationship with the CHRO, the CHRO can thrive and have a lot of fun with what they're doing and all that. If they don't, life is just no fun at all. And so they know that when they're looking for their first CHRO job or they're making a change, and CHROs change a lot. There's a lot of many time big company CHROs in the world. Their number one thing they're trying to figure out is whether or not they want to work for this CEO. And they do everything they can to try to figure out if that's true and if it's somebody that they would love. And then, of course, it's unfortunately not uncommon for them to go ahead and take it. And then within a few months or a couple of years, right, there's a change at the CEO. And all of a sudden, maybe they're working for somebody that is very, very difficult to work for or work with or is fine but isn't passionate about human capital issues. And so it is absolutely the overriding thing about the success of a CHRO. I remember one time, I'll, I'll leave out the name of the company, but I was in a meeting in Atlanta with a bunch of retail CHROs. And we had a CEO who visited from one of the companies and was talking about how he viewed a CHRO role and how it can be most successful. And he made a comment, which I think is so true. He said, if your CEO does not see you as the the next most important member of the executive committee, or at least tied with someone else, then you need to go find a new CEO. And I really think that that's true. I think that being a great CHRO is totally dependent on the commitment of the chairman and CEO, chairman and or CEO. Well, of course, what we have seen in the last couple of years is a greater urgency for both the CEO and many CHROs to tackle a whole range of problems at a greater speed than we, we've seen for many years before. And you mentioned earlier the, the consistent buckets of the talent attraction, the how do we use technology, how do we think about internal issues of people development. Across the full talent lifecycle from companies dealing with the top of the funnel and their brand externally to thinking about, as we touched on earlier, hiring for potential and developing that potential, retaining those people, and even through to how do we actually think about what happens afterwards? Should we be thinking about what happens with our alumni? What have been some of the most critical areas of focus that you've seen in the last couple of years, and is that evolving? Yeah, so 
One was driven by COVID, and I don't know if the other one's driven by COVID or not, but I'll do the two that are kind of the new things. Look, the first one is this whole idea of what the new normal is going to be with regard to how people work, remote, hybrid, on-site, that whole conversation. I have it in almost every time I'm talking to CHROs, we wander into that at some point. The one thing that is true is it's more complicated now than it ever was before. It's like every month that goes by, it becomes less clear, not more clear. One of the drivers is this. A lot of companies you know, worked hard on what their policy was going to be, and they were thinking about their existing workforce, right? So for different parts of the job, we're either going to say, you got to be in the office, or it's going to be three days a week, or it's going to be up to you, or it's going to be totally remote, or we're going to give managers you know, a lot of flexibility within some general policy. And whatever it is that they spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours of trying to to come up with that makes sense for their existing workforce in their view. The minute you go out and start hiring, even for the most senior roles, the resistance to doing something that is very far away from remote or extreme hybrid is very high right now. Is that gonna change? I don't know, but the point is that you can come up with all your policies. Now go try to hire new people and senior leaders. Like, you know, I now am, right, I'm helping build a executive search and advisory firm. And um, with a lot of the searches, even for CXO level roles, you'll get to candidates that just right from the sink say, just let's not waste each other's time. If I'm going to be asked to move somewhere or I'm going to be asked to do this, I'm not interested. Now, is that going to, and by the way, that's not everybody. There are people that are dying to be in companies that are all back together. But for a lot of roles at a lot of levels, that's what scares them right now is because their plans are kind of cute, but is the market of future talent going to want to operate by that plan? And right now, it doesn't look great. And look, this I'm sure of. It's easy to say, oh, just you know, let everybody do what they want. It's not going to be easy to maintain great cohesive cultures with people that don't see each other very often. Yeah, you know, you can do it, and great managers can get almost anything done. But I think that's going to be one of the great worry for all of them going forward. The second conversation just wasn't as intense before COVID. So I don't know if it's COVID related or there's some other factors at play here, but it's it's very strong in all my conversations is that the talent shortages out there are many and varied. We all know about the tech and data roles. Okay, that's one of like a thousand. We've all known that there are, you know, there's shortage of nurses, long haul truck drivers, there's there's no pilots, there's no veterinarians, there's no vet techs. I mean, it's a, it goes on forever. The biggest possibly in the developed economies is the skilled trades, actually. Electricians and plumbers and welders, people just aren't going into those businesses anymore. Parents don't want their kids to go into those, those jobs. And the average age of the people in those jobs is like in the 50s in a lot of countries. And, and it's a huge problem because it's at the core of so many things in, in the economy. And on a global basis, there are super hot spots right now, like the U.S. in so many places, India in so many places, less so in other countries. But the concern of the CHROs about how they're going to navigate this going forward is pretty heavy. And, you know, certainly being better at talent mobility, internal talent mobility is a huge one because, you know, we know that 90 percent of people who decide to change jobs, meaning going from a certain type of job to a very different kind of job, you know, move from marketing to finance or something more, more extreme than that. 90% of the time they have to leave their own company to do that in a world where 
they probably could have done it right within their own company or found something else. And so, and very few companies would claim to be very good at that, for example. But this never-ending talent shortage in so many industries and so many types of jobs is a conversation that is more extreme today than I've ever heard it before. Well, it sounds also like it's a more extreme opportunity for companies to differentiate themselves. When you talked about the hybrid on-site debate becoming more complicated than ever before, it's also, in being more complicated, one where people are voting with their feet based on very small decisions companies choose to make or not make. And same with with mobility. The companies that are starting to tackle those reskilling, upskilling problems that you mentioned proactively and looking at new vectors of having their talent organization look internally, not just externally, starting to think about skills in a more sophisticated way, starting to deploy talent marketplaces. Those organizations are going to start having a pretty rapid competitive advantage was less significantly different to other other businesses until we've arrived in this more talent shortage and competitive circumstance. So with all of that in mind, I'd like us to uh, take a look into the future. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. What do you see as the biggest opportunity that lies ahead for CHROs as we look forward into the next couple of years? Where to focus? You know, for one thing, there's a lot of answers to a lot of these problems in in HR technology and automation. I mean, there's just a lot of really helpful platforms and apps and they keep getting better. And I think that that's going to be, I'll say this, I think that, I think to be a really good CHRO in the future, you better have a pretty good handle on those kinds of things and knowing which ones to use and not to use. Because I, again, I think, I think that some of these things are hard to solve without that. It's just going to be so weird to say this, but I saw a piece of research the other day that is interesting about really well done research that had to do with how employees and managers and leaders view the HR function, right? And if I'm the CHRO, how people in this company view my function is pretty darn important. And it's probably pretty darn important to my success. And what the research showed is that if you ask a set of questions and you break the answers into whether someone views HR as value additive or value detracting, right? It was language, something like that. One thing is that senior leaders, people who are senior leaders in companies are much more likely to evaluate HR highly. Frontline employees are more likely to value it as value detracting. Now, here's the problem. What's the biggest, what do you think is the biggest single driver of whether people at any level have a great appreciation for HR and think that it's value additive? The biggest single driver is the number of human touches they have with HR throughout the year. And yet a lot of the investment that's been made in HR is to, is to get that out of the system. That's going to be, I think, really interesting to navigate. And it's, 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 a, it's a hot topic with my CHRO relationships. I had meetings this last month. I did some meetings in London and Zurich. And um, it came up in all of them, this issue of we better not completely take the human out of human resources because it comes out that the human and human resources is the thing that is most likely to make us seem valuable to people. That's, a real, that's going to be really tricky to walk that road. We touch on an interesting point, which is how do we start differentiating which touches are most valuable to be human? And it's something we see not just in the HR interactions from the employee perspective, but also from the candidate experience perspective, you know, where we bring in AI and automation, the goal should be to allow folks who are in recruiting, in sourcing 
to dedicate more of their time to interactions, speaking, actually speaking to people? How do you free up more time for that? I think sometimes the, the dialogue around, as you say, where automation helps or not helps, loses the sight of that and loses sight of actually empowering people in the talent and HR functions and other internal functions to actually be able to be empowered rather than attempting to make replacements, which is, which is a super important thing to, to bake into. We think about the dream is to perfectly segment the type of experiences and automate the ones where human touch is not important to people and humanize the ones that human touch is important to people. I, another piece of that research, by the way, maybe as a final point on this, is that in addition to more touches, here's, a, here's one piece. If I had a human interaction with HR for five or more different kinds of things throughout the year, I'm 11 times more likely to see HR as value additive. So figure out what the kinds of touches are that are important to be human and then really double down on those and then get the cost out of everywhere else if you can. I think the other side of it is it's easy to default to thinking about automating things that you already do and making that the priority rather than thinking about what could be operated differently with the technology and options we have. For example, Rather than in the case of, let's say you mentioned mobility as a priority, thinking about how do we automate the process of reviewing internal applicants, you could look at that as a case of how do we empower employees to be more engaged in looking at internal career paths and opportunities? How do we empower them to have more self-direction by helping them see what paths could I take? What skills do I have? And that's not an automation of an existing process. That's a completely new interaction that's actually going to change the push and pull model of when does an employee come to that HR person, making those touches bi-directional. And I think it's a really interesting point that is, I think, certainly under-debated and under-discussed. Like, how do we look at creating more high-quality interactions rather than simply looking at efficiency in processes we already have? With this in mind, I think this takes us nicely to a, a more personal question, Larry. You're clearly very passionate about this. You, you clearly have a lot of people that you brought together into this new way of discussing and operating in tandem with other leaders and other CHROs. What's the overall purpose? What's the dream here? What are you trying to achieve? You know, a lot of people go through their whole life, even senior executives. And I know this because I also in my life, I do a lot of executive coaching and advisory to top leaders. A lot of people go through their, their whole life without getting real clarity around their, their purpose and their values. I recommend that people really sit down and you know review those at least every five years and get clarity. I had some real clarity a few years ago that my what I wanted the rest of my life to be about is is helping other people find success and fulfillment in their lives. And then I learned that there's direct things like how I help CHROs and all that. Plus I, I'm a coach and advisor to many of them and some other non-CHRO leaders. So it's very direct and personal. And then just in my relationships in life in general. Right. I try to do that. But it made me think a lot about, but what about the indirect ways, things that you can get involved in, organizations, companies, et cetera, that are advancing that same purpose of helping people find success and fulfillment in their lives. And so I've had a chance that the executive search and advisory firm that I'm helping build is deeply committed to that idea both in the way we find talent and develop talent and so forth. But the companies that I choose to get involved in in other ways fit those. And I've had a chance to get to know you guys and help out Beamery wherever I could. And it's because you guys fit that part of my mission with the way you are helping companies, you know, find the right talent that ultimately is advancing the 
the success and fulfillment in those people lives. But then the the whole piece that you guys are adding, I think you call it Beamery Grow, which is a you know sophisticated AI-based mobility platform that can help people move around in their organizations and find new experiences and new development and all that. That's not just a solve for the company. That's a solve for people finding more success and fulfillment in their lives. So I've been really enjoying my time with you guys because you're after um, you're after something that I think is really important. Like you, we are very mission-driven. And uh, as you know, on a charge to create equal access to work through the types of technologies we deploy and the types of things we do. But it's also a really exciting time to have an opportunity to make an impact at a much more accelerated rate in the space of talent and employee experiences than what's been possible over the past decade. You you mentioned coaching. You coach, as you say, and not just uh, a few, but a lot of CHROs, the world's largest organizations. In today's environment, if somebody were starting for the first time in a CHRO role in a Fortune 500 uh, organization, what would be one piece of advice you'd give them? So, you know, in terms of the advice I give to to the CHROs that I work with, I work with a few other senior leaders, and I guess just kind of for anybody in any part of life is you need to always look at your whole life. You need to always look at, again, what are my purpose and values? What am I trying to do here? Am I in a job that I can advance that? And if I am in a job that I can advance that, what am I doing to make sure that the rest of my life is in order and balance and so forth so that I can give it all I got in the professional part of my life? And look, even the world's biggest CHROs and other leaders that I've worked with, look, we all we all need help on all aspects of our life and getting the balance right and getting your mind right at all times. And you need routines and, and activities and methodologies for for helping you be the best total person you can be. And and that work is super rewarding and will definitely be uh, at the core of what I do the rest of my working career. And very inspiring to hear, Larry. To close out this conversation on where things are heading and the way you're also empowering leaders to help drive that change, if you came back five years from now, and that might seem like a short time, but at the pace of uh, change these days, I think quite a lot will have changed. From your perspective, what will be the biggest things that have changed when it comes to the world of talent? Well, I can only do, I guess what I'll do is what I what I hope will have changed. What will I hope have happened in the world? And, and you know, the reality is my world is the world of large companies. And, and so what will have happened? You know, that would really make me feel good is if the very simple idea that more companies are doing a better job of helping people be in the right jobs, doing the right things, things that align with what they want to achieve. They just have more human being walkings around that are making productive contributions and things they care about and in a way that that makes their whole life richer. If that could play out via the employment that happens in the the, the large companies of the world, you know, that that'd be a big impact, you know, on society overall. And I I hope that some of the things I do are going to kind of help that out. I certainly believe that they will. Well, Larry, it has been such a pleasure, really. Thank you for joining us and really enjoyed our conversation. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, 
and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.